We're looking at Psalm 3 this morning. Oops. We're going to look at Psalm 3. So if you have your Bibles, you can open that up. But I'm going to read Psalm 3, and then we're going to think about that together this morning. So this is the word of the Lord from Psalm 3. Hear God's word. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, oh, thanks, Ray. Don't worry, I'm going to start over. All right, Psalm 3. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver me. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, we're looking at the Psalms. We've been, we've been talking about the Psalms. And just kind of a reminder about the Psalms. This one works great, Ray. Thank you. It's perfect. Um, a reminder about the Psalms is, and we're going to talk about prayer in this sermon, is that the Psalms give us a prayer language. If you're wondering about how to communicate with God, how to speak um, things about Him that you love, how to speak about things in the world that you hate. I mean, the psalmist here talks about breaking jaws and stuff like that. Like, there's a lot of metaphors that are going on here. Um, But the psalms give us, essentially, a prayer language. And this psalm gives us a prayer language of lament and hope. It gives us the ability to speak about what it means to have a healthy view of lament and how to express it, as well as how to counter it with something more than a platitude, but the actual power of God offered to us by grace. So it's not denying or pretending like something's not real. It's actually lamenting things that deserve lament and giving them to a God who is powerful enough to face them and deal with them. So if you think about lament, what is lament? You know, a lament can be something that's regrettable. It can be something um, that you wish wasn't true. Um, A protest can be a form of lament. Protesting a protest can be a form of lament. I think that probably covers everybody in here. You know, lament is saying the world is in a way it is not supposed to be. There's a theologian and a writer named Cornelius Plantinga, and that's how he talks about a definition of what sin is, that it it is something, it's the world as it's not supposed to be. Like maybe you can't even put your finger on it totally, but you can tell that there are things going on in my heart and things going on in the world that it shouldn't be like this, like something is out of sync. And when you think about lament, you, know, you can think about it like this. What do you grieve? What causes grief in your life? You know, of course, the present pandemic does. You know, I'm talking to some of my teachers right now. Some are starting in service tomorrow, others next week. Um, but whether you're a kindergartner or you're a senior in high school or you're in college or you're a teacher, you know, everybody's experiencing in different ways life being not as it's the way it's supposed to be, out of sync. You know, when you see a child and their life is out of sync, they're really good about letting you know about it, especially if they're young, right? They throw themselves into it physically and emotionally, whether they stub their toe or you won't give them the toy they want, they let you know it. But the beautiful thing about that, especially with a child, is that because they're being so clear about what it is they're lamenting, we have a pretty good idea of how to console them. 
And what God is inviting us to do is actually to learn how to express lament so that we can both for one another and in his word receive the comfort that he wants for us in the midst of that lament. The world is not as it's supposed to be. How do we respond to that? Most good stories have this kind of thing going on, right? So we'll do the Presbyterian thing for a second. Lord of the Rings, right? You know, Sauron. You know, he brings a lot of things as they're not supposed to be. Or Harry Potter, Voldemort. Or if you like the Count of Monte Cristo, you know, his friend Ferdinand um, betrays him and he gets thrown into prison. And you, it's, it's heartbreaking when you, when you read that story. Or if you're into Marvel movies, you ever seen a really good Marvel movie without a villain? Like the whole, our, we are set up to sort of think and live. We acknowledge the reality that things in the world are not as they're meant to be in some ways. And the proper observation of that is what the Bible calls lament. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 26 says that death is the last enemy. We lament death. It's the last enemy. One writer put it this way, salvation through Christ is the final defeat of the powers of destruction that imperil our lives and all of human life. Another writer said this, the gospel promises that because his victorious reign has already begun, the power of his self-giving love can challenge and dethrone the usurping idols that still enslave, distort, and destroy human life. What does it mean to lament? You know, David here in Psalm 3, he's in a really bad way. As you read here, he's got enemies all around him. It's causing a lot of angst and anxiety. And yet, in the midst of that, he's able to cry out, Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. He's acknowledging the reality of things being uh, worthy of lament and yet holding on to the fact that there's a God who can actually hear him. A God who can actually respond to him. A God who can actually deliver him. Arise, Lord. Deliver me, my God. The biblical idea of lament is neither resignation or defeat. It's not just resigning, and it's not just admitting that things are, you know, we're just going to give up and be defeated. It's the difference between um, dealing with things as hopeless and hopeful. Or maybe in the context of a relationship. It's the difference between writing someone off and actually holding out hope that reconciliation is possible. Seeing the world as what it should be and could be versus accepting that the world is just shattered and there's nothing that can be done. Jesus himself in the Gospel of John chapter 11 weeps over his friend dying. He doesn't weep because there's no answer to it. He weeps because death is the final enemy. And he mourns that experience. And yet he's the resurrection. In fact, we're not going to talk a lot about this because we could spend hours in Psalm 3. But even this phrase, arise Lord, is, in, is kind of invoking this idea of resurrection, even here in this psalm. That there's a defeater of death who exists. That though death is something we lament, there is one who arises. So what's your response to lament? So what we're going to do is talk about kind of three ideas. The first is going to be naming our pain and then naming our God, and then naming our deliverer, as we think about lament. Naming our pain, naming our God, and naming our deliverer. And so first, naming our pain. Often we have a tendency, when we're in real pain, to either blame someone else, or to just deny that something exists altogether. And when we blame someone else, that's great, because we bear no responsibility, right? That works super well in arguments, by the way. It's not a healthy dynamic if you use that a lot, because 
you, you essentially become always the victim, right? We, that's not a good thing. It's lamentable. So it's, you know, one way is just to blame someone else. The other is to deny it's real. Well, you know, denying things really doesn't change them, does it? One of my friends came over this week and helped me cut down a Sega palm from my yard. Uh, I tried to give it away, and multiple people told me, you know, since you're trying to give it away, I'll just be honest with you, I hate those things. I was like, oh, okay, so we're tossing this thing. So he comes over, and we cut it down, and um, we, we saw it, and we dig out the bulb so it doesn't kill my puppy uh, later. And um, he said, be careful when you pick this thing up because there's lots of stickers in it. And I was like, yeah, I'll be careful. So I pick it up, and I was like, good, I'm, I'm good. I don't have any splinters in me. Well, within 24 hours, I realized that that was not true. You know, I actually had little, little burrs kind of starting to pop. I was like, oh, okay, I guess I did get some splinters, right? Um, I, I could deny all day that I got splinters, but it's festering. Like, it's right there. And that's what happens when we have pain in our life and we try to act as if it's not real. It festers. It doesn't just dissolve. It needs to be lamented. David does not deny that there's a real threat to him. Many times he acknowledges that. If you go back and you start in verse 1, he says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Now, I hope you haven't literally experienced that unless you're a vet, you know, unless you serve in the military. It's, it's a lot of imagery. You've seen a movie, perhaps. But David is experiencing being assaulted by lots of different people. He's experiencing that, and he's calling out to the only place he knows where to go, to God himself. He's not denying it. He's facing that reality. And in verse 1 and 2, he acknowledges he's got all these different foes, and it's actually provoking angst in him. It's provoking fear, as it should. He says, Lord, you're a shield around me. Why would he need a shield? Because he's actually in danger. He's saying, Lord, there's many, many foes. They're assailing me, and yet you are a shield around me. And not only are they simply attacking him physically, but what else do they do? He calls out to the Lord, and he lies down and sleeps. He wakes, and his enemies don't just try to attack him, but they actually try to deny the reality of his God altogether. They're like, he's not even real. They're, they're essentially trying to take every single thing away from him that's possible that might give him any kind of hope. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver me. It seems hopeless. And yet something within him, within him is able to push back. He doesn't deny his pain. He acknowledges his enemies and their accusation, and he calls out to God. So if you think about your own pain for a minute, if you think about your own struggles or your own moments of fear, what's your default? What, what do you cry out to for deliverance? What do you cry out to for hope? Uh, what, uh, what do, you know, do you therapy shop? Now, that works for my, me and my wife sometimes, right? If you're in a bad place, you can go shopping. Maybe you'll feel better. Uh, what are the things you go to to offer some kind of relief? That's part of what it means for us. That's part of why it's helpful for us to be able to name what our pain actually is. And there's lots of pains. You know, there's physical pain. Um, I had friends this morning even uh, texting us saying, please pray for, uh, pray for us because we're experiencing such physical pain that we can't even be in worship this morning. There's emotional pain, you know, maybe in your heart. You've had a tough relationship this week. Um, you know, there's spiritual pain. Maybe you're really struggling to believe that God is who he says he is. Where do you go in the midst of your spiritual and your emotional and your physical pain? David is calling out here to God and says, Lord, you are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord. He answers me from his holy mountain. 
This imagery of a holy mountain is meant to communicate that God is actually calling out to David, not from some obscure place, but from the one place where he is seated in his throne. David calls out in his pain, and the king of heaven and earth hears it and responds. He names his pain. Then he, this is the second point here, naming our God, to ask the question, what do you really trust? You know, naming your God can be really difficult to do if you're doing it in isolation. You know, if you have a lot of friends, they probably have little qualities they may make up about you, or, you know, maybe they say you're always snarky, or you're always sarcastic, or they say you never take me seriously. Like, sometimes my, my family will say that about me. You know, you're, you're joking around too much. You know, when you're, with, when you're with people, sometimes they can see things about you you can't see yourself. Proverbs 27, 6 says, the wounds of a friend can be trusted. You know, if you're with people, and everybody says you smell, but you don't smell it, you should take a shower, Right? The context of the church is actually meant to be a place where we name our pain, but also we name our God together. And we say, wait a minute, in the midst of this pain, there's a God we all cry out to together. It's why we don't just let Ray play and let Deborah sing or Dan and just listen. We actually sing with one another. Why? To both hear and to say, we have a God who responds, a God who is our shield, a God who is our protector. Verse 3, but you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord. He answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Now, there's just this imagery that David gives us here of sleep, right? Have you ever experienced not being able to sleep because of deep stress? Of course you have. David has. Right In this narrative, he's talking about both being attacked on every side. Look, no one goes down for a nap as enemies are rushing up to attack them. Right, But David's saying, wait a minute, if you're who you say you are, then even there, maybe by your grace, I can find even an opportunity to rest because I will wake again because the Lord sustains me. And part of the beauty of us gathering as the church is we get to hear God's word and remind each other of that fact. What do you really trust? Name your God. Let me give you some ideas here just quickly from Psalm 3 about the kind of God that David names. He says it's a God who is powerful, right? He, he's, he is able, he's like a shield. He's from a, a mountain. David's able to sleep because he actually believes God will sustain him. He's actually praying this, calling out to God. Verse 4, it's a God who responds. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me. How does God answer us? If you were to call out to God in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your difficulty, how does God answer you? He answers you through others. He answers you through his word. He answers you through his spirit that is bringing maybe words to mind. David writes in Psalm 119, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. The whole idea of memorizing scripture, it's not just so you can, you know, get your little stickers on your board. That, that's great. But the reason we do it is because there's something about hiding those words in our hearts that's able to bring to mind God's response. Like, I feel like I'm being attacked from every single angle, but there's a God who is my battle shield, and I'm going to lean into trusting him. So he's a God who's powerful. He's a God who responds. Verse 3, he's a God who protects this idea of a shield, of course. He can wake and face the day because the Lord who watches over him, even while he sleeps, has grace that can sustain him. And it's a God who blesses. Verse 8. From the Lord comes deliverance. 
May your blessing be on your people. I want you to think about anything in this life that actually promises you deliverance. Actual deliverance. Actual freedom. Actual peace. The certainty, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, that even your last enemy death will be defeated because of the one who has arisen. That's what's being offered to us in the gospel. A God who's powerful. A God who responds. A God who protects. A God who blesses. That's that's naming our God. That's the one that we're learning and leaning in to trusting. How do we learn to do that? One of the most important ways we learn to do it is by beginning to do it. By beginning to pray. This is a prayer. Psalm 3 is a prayer. Now you might, you might know somebody in your life even this week who needs to hear about God's affections for them at this level. That they feel like they're being attacked. They need a God who's big enough to be their shield. They need one who will watch over them even when they can't watch over themselves when they're sleeping. They need one who promises real resurrection, both yes in the day when we all face death, but also in this present moment that God's grace might be sufficient even now. A God who's powerful. A God who protects. A God who responds. A God who blesses. Learning to pray lets us begin to access that. Think about it this way. Eugene Peterson talks about learning to pray. And he, and he talks about how there's three different types of language that we need to think about in prayer. One is the language of relationship and intimacy, right? It's like when you see a mother and a child, a baby, and the baby's cooing. Lots of things are being communicated between that child and that mother without any intelligible words. Because that baby is drawing great comfort from that mother. That mother is expressing a lot of love towards that child. It's the language of relationship and intimacy that's there. So that's one type of language. Another type of language, the language of information. You know, we need to be able to identify candle, even though it's uh, battery operated, or light, or chair. Like we need truth. We need to be able to acknowledge reality for what it is. That's a second type of language. Relationship and intimacy is one. Uh, the language of information is a second and then the third is the language of motivation like commands lots of Christians distill down their understanding of what it means to follow Jesus to those last two right information and right action if I just know the true things God's telling me to do and I can just do them that's the fulfillment of my spirituality no it's not if you were to apply that to your relationships like your marriage and your children and your friends think about how it would go if the only thing you communicated between the people you love are facts and requests that is not very life-giving it's the there's this really important element of relationship and intimacy that comes through yes knowing the information and yes having an idea of then how to live but the actual relationship of intimacy of knowing one another of caring for one another of pursuing each other of being pursued by the other You know, one of the things you see in this psalm is that our God is a God because he's powerful, because he can respond, because he blesses, because he protects. He pursues us. It's such good news. The scriptures tell us that God is far more interested in us than we are in him. That he's actually more interested in us than we could ever imagine before we are ever interested in him at all. That's the kind of God that rushes to David's aid in this moment. That's the kind of God that rushes to our aid in the midst of true and real lament. We're able to acknowledge the reality of pain because we know who our God is. And he's one who promises to bring resurrection. He's one who promises to be gracious to us. He's one who invites us to do more than just know the facts about who he is 
and what it is he's telling us to do, but to actually think about that first element of relationship and intimacy in our language with him. If you want to actually cultivate your relationship with God, you need to consider the idea of praying. And if you don't know what to say to God, here's, some, here's a really easy thing for you to try out this week. Keep your bulletin. Read the scriptures. Read Psalm 3. Pray these things back to God and watch him by the power of his spirit begin to cultivate that first element of that relationship he has with you. That he wants you to begin to know him because he already knows you perfectly. Psalm 27 verse 1 says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You know, those are powerful words for us. Titus chapter 2 says, For the grace of God that has appeared offers salvation to all people. Who do you think God is interested in in your world and in your life? For the grace of God that has appeared offers salvation to all people. God is interested in the world coming to terms with the reality that he is a God who protects, responds, blesses us, moves towards us, watches over us. As Christians, the scriptures enable us to do something even more, which is this third idea, to actually name our deliverer. To name our deliverer. I had a young woman call me this week, and she was communicating to me how stressed out she is. She's got all these things going on she's preparing for, lots of extra work stuff, Lots of different social engagements are coming up in the week. And she called me and said, I'm just so anxious. Can you help me think about this? So the first thing I did was say, first of all, if that was going on in my life, I'd be really anxious too. That's a lot of stuff to process. But here's the good news. Read Psalm 3. God is able to actually meet you in the midst of where you are and provide a shield. And I wish I could say what that means is that the arrows will stop flying. But that's not what it means. What it means is, is that in the midst of that suffering, in the midst of that lament, you know who's going to be with you, the God of heaven and earth. See, thinking of God in this way, of, of naming him, enables us to think of him as both our deliverer and our blesser. God is our deliverer, but he's also the one who comes to bless us. David says, arise, Lord, deliver me. This is the God who's actually able to begin to bring resurrection into your life. Resurrection into your parenting, resurrection into your marriage, resurrection into your friendships, resurrection into all those other areas of life that you're struggling with. There's one place you can go that absolutely and always begins to offer you the opportunity to access one who has power. And that's who Jesus is. He's the one who welcomes us. He is our deliverer. David says here, strike my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. That's some really heavy language, right? I hope you don't scream that at people as you're driving down the road. Um, but what the imagery is meant to be is that anything that gets in the way of God's desire to love his people is going to be utterly destroyed. And that should do two things for us. It should bring us a lot of comfort. It should also make us a little bit fearful to want to assess our own hearts and think, where am I living in opposition to who God is? You know, where am I living in a way that's in opposition to what God's trying to accomplish in my husband's life, in my wife's life, in my children's life? Where am I living in a way that's out of sync with him? Because being out of sync with him equals being out of sync with the one who comes to protect and bless and deliver and watch over us. David is longing to see what we come to later see who Jesus is. 
You know, David is crawling out for a deliverer. Jesus is the deliverer. In Isaiah chapter 53, there's some foreshadowing about who Jesus will be. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. The God of heaven and earth afflicted by what? Uh, You could say it this way. The God of heaven and earth, his teeth were broken for who? Well, that's who we are. His beloved people. The people who can pray this prayer. Arise, Lord. Deliver me, my God. It's why we're able to lie down and sleep and to wake again. Because the Lord sustains us. You know, if you think about parenting, you know, my kids, they're young adults now, but 20 and 19 and 16. If you think, you know, when I think about caring for my kids and really wanting them to know God's love for them, the good news is, is I really do want that and I pray that for them. The bad news is, is I try to accomplish that goal in ways other than maybe what God intends, right? Little manipulation or, you know, just putting things, you know, you got to be patient with God's work in the lives of people. And the other day, this was a comical, this comical thing and it has a good ending. My son William calls me on the phone. He says, Dad, the worst thing in the world happened to me. And I was like, oh, no. Okay, that's, that, that's up there. Like, that's a bad one. The worst thing in the world has happened to me. And he's in his, he's in his car, and I'm like, oh, he wrecked his car. We're going to have to deal with that. And he goes, so here's the deal. My phone, and I was like, okay, good. We're free from the car. Like, the car's safe. He goes, my phone, and then I went to what? Oh, now the phone's broken. we got to get that fixed. He said, well, my phone, when I was skateboarding 10 miles, because he tracked it, he goes, I was skateboarding, and I pushed it so many times that it locked, and I couldn't access it for 90 minutes. And I went, oh, okay, we're, we're, this is not the worst thing in the world that's ever happened to William, but he feels like it is in that moment. And I went from being like really scared and nervous to kind of funny and just like just really happy and said, well, that's great, man. How'd it go? He goes, it was horrible. I drove in circles in Houston like this because I was downtown and driving around and finally made my way out. And now I made it up the, uh, you know, NASCAR test, that, uh, test track that is 45. And I'm in the woodlands now and I'm okay. And I celebrated that with him. But the first thing that came into my heart when he, when he told me the worst thing that ever happened to him was, oh no, like, what are we going to do? And all I could think was, I hope God's taking care of him because I don't know where this story is leading. The reality is, with all of our children, we entrust them to a God who is able to take care of them, and he's able to do that because of what we read here in Psalm 3. He's the Lord who calls out to us from his holy mountain, the one who is our battle shield. He is our deliverer, and if that wasn't enough, he is the one who desires. This is his goal. Are you ready? God's goal for your life? Verse 8, from the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. That's hard for us to believe, that God's real desire is to bless us. And yet, we read like what we do in Romans 8, 38, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's chief desire is that we would know that He's our lover. He's our pursuer. He's our defender. He is gracious to us and slow to anger and abounding in love. That's God's affections for us. You know, I wonder sometimes when I think about people in my life, if you were to ask them, um, when you think about Brad's relationship with God, what would you say is really important to him about it? And my hope is, is that as I begin to sort of soak in God's love for me, that I begin to ooze that on others. 
that I begin to treat others as God has treated me so that they might know the reality of who he is for them as much as he is for me. That he's the one who will rise up. That he's the one that can be our shield. That he's the one who watches over us. That he's the one who sustains us. That he is the one who blesses us. I want to encourage you this week to do two things. One, ask yourself the question. Read Psalm 3 again. Do I really believe God is my deliverer? Like, What am I going to besides him to find real deliverance from whatever it is? And in that moment, remember that God's gracious to you and he's inviting you to trust in him as your deliverer. But also to ask yourself this second question is, do I really believe he's seeking to bless me? You know, this week, we, July 27th was Walker's birthday, and we had some signs in the yard. And when they pulled the signs up, and they were great signs, there was a strip of grass from where we didn't get to mow. And so I was thinking to myself, man, this whole week I'm going to be staring at this mohawk on my yard, right? And it's just embarrassing. Like, all the new neighbors that I have are going to think, who's this guy? Like, he just mows part of his yard, right? I get up the next morning, and one of my neighbors, I still don't know who, but I, I, I suspect it was our neighbor a couple doors down, Someone had mowed that for me. What a small thing, right? But what a blessing. Like, what would it mean for us to be a people who experience God's blessing so much that we begin to ask the question of, what would it mean for me to bless somebody else? What would it mean for me to imitate love that God has shown me towards others for their sake? Because that's the kind of God that we worship. Now, Psalm 3 invites us into considering that. Have you so basked in the reality of God as your deliverer and your blesser that you're so grateful for it that it moves you to kind of do and be in the business that God is in with other people to bless them to care for them and in doing that we begin to make the kingdom of God more and more present and that's the great hope of the gospel is that God is at work in such a way in us that he begins to make himself more accessible to everyone else around us it's the mission of the church so, as we approach the table here in a few moments, I want you to consider that. Do you really see God as your deliverer? Do you really see him as your blesser? Do you understand that the things in our world that are not as they're supposed to be, we're able to acknowledge the reality of that and approach the deliverer who offers us grace and peace? Let's pray together. Lord, this morning, as we consider your goodness, as we consider your faithfulness, and right alongside that, we consider the reality of deep suffering in our world and in, in our lives, perhaps. Lord, that you are our deliverer, that we can call upon your name, the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who says is our battle shield, the one who says that he, from his holy mountain, he calls out to us and says, arise, I will deliver you. You can lie down and sleep because I will watch over and I will sustain you. I will be the one who blesses you. Lord, would you give us faith to believe more and more that that is in fact who you are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.